Well, I'm a little bit in the feels this morning. Got to be honest. Luke, this changes everything. Men and women, this is our last sermon in Luke. We have been at, yeah, it does end at some point, okay? Like, it's not an an infinite book, right? But uh, we have been at this for two and a half years. Since the early in January of 2018, we started in Luke. And uh, and I am in the fields. It's, It's funny. Our daughter, Madison, recently went off to college at Cedarville University, and we dropped her off a little over a week ago. And people have been asking, hey, how you doing? And she said, I'm like, I'm good. How you doing ending Luke? Oh, man. Like, I'm, like I'm an idiot, right? Like, oh, oh, but I am weirdly in the fields. But I do know my daughter is tuning in online. Hi, Ladybug. Love you. Miss you. There it is. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so it, it is a good morning for us. So listen, uh, remember... <laughs> Remember two and a half years ago when I told you, what am I saying? You don't remember last week, right? So let me remind you, Luke is a two-part volume, Luke and Acts. The same author, Luke, wrote both. And we as a church studied Acts first. <laughs> we got it out of order, right? So, and then we did the prequel, and that's what we've been doing. We've been going through Luke. Here's the cool thing. When we finish up today with Luke and Acts together, we as a church will have studied one quarter of the New Testament. Isn't that cool? Good job. Give yourselves a hand. I mean, I think that's why I love that God's doing that. I love that we go through these books together, and it's kind of a big deal for our church, so I love it. The reason we were going through Luke is we are staring in awe of Jesus. We are looking at him, learning who he is and what he is like and what he has done. Note that, what he has done. So we've got that thing, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Let me tell you, WWJD is really, really good for ethics and morality and religion. It is very bad for salvation. What has Jesus done? W-H-J-D, that is what is in view for salvation, and that is what we need. And so Jesus came, and he acted in history, and he did something, and it's really, really true, and this changes everything. In fact, I'm going to make you say that phrase a few times this morning. Everybody say, this changes everything. All right, let me give you the context to where we're going this morning. If you remember Pastor Jared's great sermon last week, the road to Emmaus, those two disciples were walking along, and then some strange dude comes up, and oh, it turns out it's Jesus, right? And and they figured that out eventually, and they had this amazing conversation we'd love to tune in on. Okay, so that's what happened. And then those same two disciples, after Jesus kind of like disappeared, then they go and they find the 11 apostles and other disciples gathered there, and they start giving their report of what just happened on the road to Emmaus. And we pick it up as they're giving their report in Luke chapter 24, verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Story of our lives right there. Like, like, what, here, here it is. Jesus is bringing us peace and we're freaked out. Right? Like Jesus shows up and he says, I'm here to bring you peace and I'm here to bring you blessing and I'm here to fill your life. And we're like, whoa, Jesus, don't mess with my life. I'm freaking out. That's the story of our lives right there. 
But Jesus does. He wants to bring peace. Why peace? Why can he say peace to you? Because of the cross. Right? We had a sin debt that must be paid, and we're under it. Like, we're bad, and we're in trouble, and yet Jesus just paid it. It is finished. He has just set in motion the restoration of all things. Peace to you. Peace to you. Now, remember the context. The 11 apostles just abandoned Jesus. Remember that? They, they left him in a lurch. They ditched him at his hardest moment. Now Jesus shows up. What would you, I, if I were in their shoes, I'd be expecting, here comes the hammer. Here comes the correction. Like we just screwed him over. And now he's showing up. And so I am, I am in trouble. And what if, what if God is more concerned with what Jesus did than what you did? Right? What if God is more concerned with what Jesus did than what you did, and this changes everything? Say it. It does. It changes everything. Well, wait, maybe not. Maybe not. What if that wasn't really Jesus that just showed up? What if it was an imposter? Or what if it was a ghost? Who are you going to call? Right? Like, like that's what they're, they're like, who should we call, right? That's what is going on there. Like, maybe this isn't really the risen Jesus. And so we continue in Luke chapter 24, verse 38. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? He's a guy. (laughs) They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. All right, there is. If you thought we were going to have like a really quick wrap-up sermon for Luke today, you're wrong. There's a lot of meat on the table right here. And, And that is all about proof for the resurrection. There are two glaring proofs in that passage. The first is that Jesus himself is standing right there. Now, What we know from that is that the swoon theory could not be true. Good with that? Okay, let me explain. So the swoon theory is that when Jesus hung on the cross, he just kind of passed out. He didn't really die. And so then then he kind of revived and came. Now remember the flogging and the crucifixion, all he went through. Like if this was like a half-dead Jesus who needed CPR... Like that, that doesn't convince anyone of a risen Jesus, right? So, so he is clearly back from the grave and risen, or maybe, right? So, so that leaves only a few possibilities in front of us. One is that he is a ghost. Okay, not that there really are ghosts. Like, so there are ghosts? No, like, that's what they're thinking. So Jesus has to address that. And so what he says is, look, I have flesh and bones. Like, feel my body. You feel that? You feel that? Here, give me some fish, which, by the way, side point, Jesus, not a vegetarian. Write it down. Uh, <laughs> not the point of the morning at all. Moving on. Okay, more to the point. More to the point is ghosts don't eat our food. And he's saying, I'm not a ghost. I'm not some spirit. Oh, okay, well, 
maybe he's an imposter, right? So maybe uh, Jesus actually died on the cross and his dead body is in a tomb somewhere. And then this is some body double, some stunt double who's here. And, and maybe that's what they're looking at. But, but realize they walked with him for three years. Like they're not going to be like not be able to recognize whether or not this is Jesus. And furthermore, he says, hey, look at my scars. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Like, this is obviously the one who was just crucified. Interesting side point. Uh, When we are resurrected, when we get our glorified bodies someday, no scars. Jesus has risen. He's in his glorified body. He has scars. I believe that for all eternity, there is only one who will have scars, and they are the hands and feet of Jesus. He has scars so that we won't. It's really cool. Now, he's not a ghost, and he's not an imposter, so that leaves us with door number three. He's risen. He is risen. It's really true. It's not just the two disciples from the road to Emmaus. It's not just Simon Peter who said that. Like he's right there. And so they disbelieved for joy and were marveling. They're like, no way. And Jesus is like, way. Which isn't in the text, but I think that'd be really cool if that happened, right? Like, way. That's what they're, they're just, they're flabbergasted. They can't believe it. And, and so his Risen presence is data, it's proof. But that's just the first proof in in the passage. The second proof that is there is he's standing there and he said, I told you so. I mean, he didn't use those words, but I told you so. And so the proof is fulfilled prophecy. Like fulfilled prophecy is data we might want to pay attention to, right? And so what he said is he he talked from the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Now that is shorthand for the entire Jewish scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament. Okay? And what he did is he starts to go back, probably similar to the road to Emmaus, and show, see this prophecy, see that prophecy? He might have referred to Psalm 22. Look at this, verses 16 to 18. For dogs encompass me, A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So it's written long, long before Jesus walked the earth and was crucified. But if you remember from the crucifixion account... They pierced his hands and his feet. He can count his bones. Remember the, the flogging that he got probably exposed his, his ribs. They stared, they gloat, they mocked him. Remember that? They divide my garments and they, for my clothing, they cast lots. Remember the soldiers did that for his clothes? This is fulfilled prophecy. And so what Jesus is saying is he's saying, listen, it's all over the Old Testament. And for three years, I've been telling you, what did you think was going to happen? Of course, of course. And so this is proof. This is proof. And there is a, by the way, a third bonus proof that isn't explicit in the text, but we know it from history, and it is this. Most of the people at that scene listening to Jesus, it's maybe 120 at this point. We don't know for sure. 
But, but most of those people would experience persecution, and many of them were martyred because they claimed to have seen the risen Savior. Okay, they went from disbelief to death for Jesus. The point is this. The resurrection was not created by the church. The church was created by the resurrection. You get that? The resurrection was not created by the church. The church was created by the resurrection, and they go to the grave for it. This is proof. It's history. It really happened. It's really true, and this changes everything. Say it. It really, really does. It really does. Now, let's, let's continue in our passage. See what happens in verse 45. We'll pick it up there. It says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, we, we, so far we've been talking about what Jesus did, what he has done. This part, he, he goes, okay, here's, here's what I want you to do. In, in light of what I've done, here's what I want you to do. And so he gives them a mission. And we're going to camp on this for a little bit here. He gives them a mission. Now, it starts out, if you look there, it says, he opened their minds. Which means he used the scriptures to open their minds to the big picture. Because we get these little blinders on. We get this small little tunnel vision towards life. And he opens their minds to a big life. What would it be like if you and I lived in light of the crucifixion and the resurrection? What if we lived our lives in light of a bloody cross and an empty tomb? That would change everything in our lives. It's true. It's proven. And so he open their minds to, to see something bigger in life, something greater. And I am praying that God would open your minds today, that he would open your distracted minds. He would open your small life little minds. He would open your temporal worldly minds that you would then see a big, grand, eternal kingdom vision built on the cross in the empty tomb. That we would live big for Jesus. I'm hoping for that today. And so what Jesus did is he gave them a mission. And the mission is, your witnesses go proclaim. You, you know about Jesus. You've experienced Jesus. Now go proclaim about Jesus. Go tell others about Jesus. That's the mission of the church. And I'll probably step on some toes with this. But that's the message of the church. The one clear mission of the church is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when I say the church, I don't only mean the corporate church like Redemption Chapel. I mean each disciple of Jesus. Your job is to go proclaim the message of Christ. Now, there are many good things that we can do on this earth to relieve the suffering of a broken, fallen world. And they are good things, but it is not our primary mission. Primary is a key word there, but it's not our primary mission. So did you notice Jesus, well, look at what he didn't say. He didn't say, hey y'all, I'm now risen from the tomb, so I want you to go feed poor people. He didn't say that. 
He said, because of my crucifixion and resurrection, I want you to go tell people about me. Now, feeding poor people, is it good? Yes. Do we do it? Yes. Should we do it? Yes. Did Jesus do it? Yes. Do we have Bible passages? Yes. But it's not our primary mission. And by the way, the early church knew it. Remember, they went out. They got persecuted and martyred. Think for a second, folks. Do you think they were getting persecuted and martyred because they were feeding poor people? They got persecuted and martyred because they were out saying, hey, Jesus is risen, and he's changed my life, and I want to tell you about him. That was the problem. So we need to go tell people about Jesus, who he is and what he did, that there's forgiveness and there's hope and there's salvation and there's freedom and there's eternity and there's blessing. And a lot of us say, well, can't I just work at the soup kitchen? Yes. And while you do, tell people about Jesus. That's our primary mission. You can just tell people about Jesus. See, telling people about Jesus is exactly what Luke did. Folks, think about it. For two and a half years, we've been studying Luke. What is Luke doing? He's simply writing down to fulfill this mission right there, to tell people about Jesus. And we've been studying it for two and a half years. That's the mission. That's the mission. Now, what is this... uh, What is this message we're supposed to spread? Well, it says it right there. If you look at it, it says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Uh, Notice it's in his name. So we don't just talk about God in general so that we don't offend people. We tell people specifically about Jesus. Why? Because without Jesus, there's no bloody cross. And without the bloody cross, there's no payment for sins. And so it's nice that you have a good theological idea about a God, but you don't have payment for your sins, and your sins call for payment. And so without Jesus, there is no forgiveness. There isn't. There's no redemption. And so it's got to be in his name because of what he did. Now, now, what is it that we talk about then? We talk about what he did, not about what we do, right? We're, we're not proclaiming some new moral code. Yes, he changes us. Absolutely. Yes, we want to be like him. Yes, we want a broken world to be freed from that and to be more like our God. Absolutely. But think about this, men and women. What is the world's impression of our message? Is their impression that our message is one of peace and blessing and joy and grace and love? Or rather, is their impression of our message one of guilt? We're good people, you're bad people, and you should work harder to be more like us. Dang it. Okay, think of it this way. How would you like to have the privileged position? You get to be the one to go to a plantation and to announce to all these slaves, Jubilee, you're now free, emancipation. Wouldn't that be awesome to be that person to get to announce that? Okay, here's another one. How would you like to be the one that gets to go to a plantation and tell a bunch of slaves that they have to work harder? That one's our message. You're free. It's done. And too often we get it confused with that message. Work harder. 
work harder. It's a great message. And it must be proclaimed. Okay, check this out. Uh, some people say, well, my, my witness is how I live. No, it's not. <laughs> it's just not. This is a verbal message about Jesus Christ and who he is and what he did. Listen, how are you going to live your life in such a way that communicates that the world is broken and everybody before God is lost? And yet, Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave. This changes everything. You can't live your life in such a way that communicates that message. At best, what they'll pick up is that you're a nice person, and I want to be more like you, a nice person, so I'm going to work harder. And then they will die in their sins without a Savior because we didn't proclaim this great message that we've been studying for a long time. Our message is not about our lives. Our message is about our Savior, Jesus Christ, and it must be proclaimed. By whom? Who who should proclaim this message? You. (laughs) You. Think about this. What, What we're saying is this. Jesus is the risen King of Kings. He's my Lord, he's my Savior, he died for me, he saved me, he changed me, he is changing me, he's coming back for me, this changes everything, and I sure as heck don't want to tell anyone about it. Doesn't make sense, does it? Listen, you don't have to be a pastor, and you don't have to be a missionary. It's probably better that you're not a pastor, right? Like, you're the best missionary they're ever going to get. You're right there. You're in their life. You're right next to them. And most of the early church were just disciples. That's all. They, they were just normal Joes with typical jobs. They weren't Old Testament scholars. They weren't priests. They weren't rabbis. They were just people who met the Savior and their lives were changed and so they were in awe of him and they went out and they proclaimed, you could not shut them up. Now granted, let's take a note of caution here about how we proclaim it. When we proclaim the message of Christ, we ought to be winsome. We ought to be wise. We ought to listen a lot to people. We ought to be loving and tactful and sensitive and relevant to their lives, but still we must proclaim it. Still. Now, don't get pushy. No, don't get pushy. If they don't want the best news of like all eternity, fine, move on. We're simply on a treasure hunt, both in this area of Northeast Ohio and around the globe. We're on a treasure hunt to simply find the ones God has called. That's it. But if this stuff were true, then go tell people. Think about it. Do you think, you think those disciples were always believed? No. Do you think they always had the right answer to intricate questions about the Old Testament? No. Do you think they were silent? No. They went for it. Normal, Normal people who encountered the risen Savior, and they were rocked. And that's what I want for you, that you encounter Jesus, and your life is just rocked by him, and you're saying, he did it, it is finished, I can't believe it, and I can't be silent. I've got to tell people about this. 
Think of it this way. What if your worst news were turned into your best news? What if, uh, what if you, your eyes had been dimming strangely for the last couple months? You went to the doctor. Doctor said, hey, we got the results back. Bad news, I'm sorry. We are dead certain you will be blind, completely blind within a month. And then something freaky happens. They don't know how to explain it. But all of a sudden, it not only reverses, but you like have better than 20-20 vision for the rest of your life. That'd be awesome. Or, or give me another scenario. Let's say you are caught and convicted, like you did it. You're guilty. Everyone knows it. You're headed to jail for the rest of your life. There's no doubt about it. Presidential pardon. And now you're free. What would you do? Do you think you might proclaim it? Like when your worst news turns into your best news, you think you might hit social media up instead of stupid arguments and bickering? Like maybe some good news, right? Maybe you'd tell your friends and your coworkers and your family members. Maybe you'd grab random strangers in the grocery store. I just got to tell you that. My eyesight, let me tell you. Right? Let me give you another scenario. How about this? You joined the rebellion against God. You are the reason the, the world is a mess, and you are condemned eternally. You're screwed. You're done. And yet, Jesus came. The Messiah came, and he said, I'm going to pay it for you, and he did, and he said, it's going to be okay, and yet, wait a minute, he got wiped out. Wait a minute, he's up. He rose in victory. It's really true. Shouldn't we shout that from the mountaintops? Like you understand, a presidential pardon it lasts 70 years at best. We're talking about like eternal pardon. That's huge news. Our worst news turned into best news. Now let me be honest though and, and empathize with you. Do you still feel inadequate to the task? Do you still feel like it's kind of scary? Are you in? Yeah, you're inadequate. Let me just be honest. You're not up to it. You don't have that game. And Jesus knew it. He called you to a mission that's way too big for you. And so what he does is he gives us his Holy Spirit. It's right there where he said, uh, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. We know from other scriptures that that promise that they send is the Holy Spirit. So what Jesus is saying is, I'm going back to my Father, and the two of us are going to send the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, upon you. Why? It's really important. He will be the presence of God and the power of God in your life. So that I will be with you and in you always, and I will empower you from the inside out, my power in you and through you. Luke is all about the Holy Spirit. You think it's about Jesus, but like he's big on the Holy Spirit. He mentions the Holy Spirit more than twice as often as any of the other Gospels. The problem is that it's always slipped in. Like he doesn't focus a passage on it. It's just these little phrases slipped in. It's almost like garnish on a, on a steak platter, right? Like a little sprig of parsley. I don't know why my grandfather always told me like if you eat that, it'll put hair on your chest. I tried it. I'm like, okay, first of all, that's nasty. And, uh, and I don't know if I don't want hair on my chest. So at least not more. But, so that's not, but, but what is the garnish? The garnish is something we don't care about. Like it's unnecessary. It's extraneous. We can get rid of it. And so as Luke is slipping in these little comments about the Holy Spirit, is it just garnish? Is it unnecessary? Can we get rid of it? And the answer is no. Luke is making a point here. 
And the point is this, that God didn't just give you the mission, he also gave you his presence and his power to carry off the mission. This changes everything. Say that. When the Holy Spirit's given to the church, that's huge. It's not that Jesus gave us the mission and bolted. He gave us his power and his presence. That's big. That's the mission. We spent a lot of time there. I'm going to now go to the last few sentences in the book of Luke. Before I do, let me tell you this. There's actually, Luke is abbreviating 40 days after Christ's resurrection till his ascension. Okay? He abbreviates it. So in between what we've read so far in the next few sentences is 40 days and lots of appearances of Jesus. But now we pick it up in verse 50. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed him, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. All right, so he's carried up into heaven, the ascension of Jesus. You know what that looked like? If you do, please tell me, because I don't know. Don't ask me. I have no idea what that looked like, but I bet it was pretty cool, right? Here's what I know. It says they worshiped Jesus. Your Gentile ears, to be a Gentile is a non-Jew, right? Your Gentile ears don't, probably don't catch how profound that is. The fact that these are good Jews, okay? Jesus is a human God in the flesh, but fully human. He was born and he walked the earth. For a good Jew to worship a human being is blasphemy. Unless it isn't. <laughs> Unless Jesus really is God in the flesh. Do you know what it would take to get a Jew to worship a human being? An incarnation, a crucifixion, and Lord have mercy, a resurrection. That's exactly what it would take. And overnight, hundreds of Jews started worshiping Jesus as God. It's crazy to me that some will try to tell you that the New Testament doesn't give the idea that Jesus is God. There's no way. There's no way they worshiped him. And you worship only God. Every good Jew knows that. Now, before they worshiped him, though, I don't know if you caught it. It said, Jesus gave them a blessing. It's like we do at the end of the services. When I do a benediction, that's a blessing. Do you know what benediction means? It's a good word, okay? Bena, like beneficial, good. Diction, like dictionary, words. Good word, benediction. That's, it's a blessing. That's all it is. And if you think about the blessing that myself or Pastor Jared, sometimes Pastor Austin, that we pronounce over you every week, we, we talk about grace from Jesus, love from the Father, the constant fellowship or the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's blessing and blessing and blessing, and it keeps going on until he comes back for us and then forever. It's a blessing. I do think, though, I would have loved to have been there and hear that benediction, that blessing. That would have been so cool. But you guys, we get something better. We get the blessing. 
we get the blessing. The blessing is Christ. Christianity is all about blessing. Christianity is not about duty and guilt and obligation and curse and work harder. Come on, slaves, work harder. It's not Christianity. It's about blessing. It's that Jesus died. He saved you at his expense. He picked up the tab for all eternity. He loves you and wants to walk with you and he's missing you and he can't wait to see you again. He won't even drink of the fruit of the vine until you get to raise a glass with him again in the kingdom. He can't wait. And by the way, as part of that, he restored our relationship with God. So now, love from God the Father. We have a love relationship with the Father. And oh, by the way, he's given us his Holy Spirit to fill you so that you don't have to live lost and broken, that you can be freed from all the hate and turmoil and addiction and lust. It's blessing. Do we live in a broken world still? Yes, but it's blessing and it's blessing and it's blessing and it's blessing and it just keeps going on. And it's all because of Jesus. I don't know this for sure, but my guess is the blessing he pronounced there was probably the Aaronic blessing. It's the one from Aaron. That was the priestly line. You probably have heard this blessing before the Remember, Jesus is our high priest, and he has given us grace from God, and he has given us peace with God, and has restored to us the face of God. And so here is that ironic blessing from Numbers. Look at this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Why? Because Jesus died and Jesus rose. See, the ironic blessing is not about health and wealth. It's not about worldly prosperity. It's that your eternity is solved, that you are forgiven, and you are restored to relationship with God, with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Grace from Jesus, love from the Father, the presence of the Spirit, and he's coming back for us and he'll take us home forever. And I'll tell you what, this is blessing upon blessing upon blessing, and this changes everything. Say it. It does. And and you see, go back to the passage here, and look what they did in response. It says that they worshipped him, and they went out with joy, and they were blessing God back. Blessing from God, blessing right back to you, Lord. They worshiped, and they went out with joy, and they blessed God back. And so guess what we're going to do? We're going to worship. And we're going to go out with joy. And we're going to live our lives blessing God and fulfilling his mission of going out and proclaiming his great message to a world that needs it desperately. In a moment, we will worship him together, and we will experience a blessing But first I want to pray. Bow your heads with me. Father in heaven, we love you. And it has been our great joy and privilege as your assembled body to be going through your word that you might be glorified, that we would get to know you better and be changed by you. Lord, we love you. 
And we are so grateful for the blessing that you have pronounced over us, and that blessing is Jesus himself. Father, we want to soak in that this morning. We want to worship in light of that. I pray right now you would stir our hearts so that as we turn towards worship right now, we would not give you half-hearted worship, for you are worth far too much for that. And so, Lord, thank you, thank you. We want to say thank you for the blessing that you are to us, and we pray for that in Christ's name. Amen.